Well, it's been a while, huh? My name is Charlie Darnham. I'm an 18-year-old transgender girl who half a year ago made a dumb decision that's ruined her life in every possible way. My therapist says that it's good to reconnect with my journals because it helps me check out my emotional baggage at the mental health hotel. I do hope that the air quotes are not lost in the audio medium. But whatever. It lets me ramble, and I'm not going to lie, it feels good to talk into this old thing again. I should probably preface this continuation with some context of my life since the last incident. I have an obsession with answering questions that face me. That became a detriment when I encountered a person that did not have an answer. The night I faced them, I was left broken and empty. Eventually, one of the local fishermen found me on the docks, clearly out of it and bleeding from the wrist. I can't even remember how many hours I was out there. But more importantly, it was not a very good look on my part. I was taken to the hospital and put under watch as my hobby had become a tad destructive, which was how the nurses put it. My arm was patched up and I was forced back onto a scheduled meal plan, which allowed me to regain a lot of my strength. However, most curiously, the hunk of whalebone that was embedded into my hand is gone. Whether it was removed while I was out cold or the more dreading option, it's now a part of me at the very core. But the location of a shitty piece of bone is useless information now. Eventually, I was released from the hospital only to be put in the care of a therapist. And while I'm not going to sit here and say that therapists are pointless, as they do serve a purpose to help people feel complacent, I don't particularly enjoy my near-death experiences being labeled as delusions. I know what I feel. I can put a name to any complex emotion that falls in my lap. That's not the problem here. I'm riddled with dysphoria, which means I don't have a natural drive to take care of my own body, a body that I don't want. Like being forced to water a plant I'm allergic to. I'm aware of all of this. I don't need someone else to tell me what defensive mechanisms are linked to which traumas. That being said, my therapist is nice, and she listens to me when I go off on a tirade that I'm seemingly known for, <laughs> which feels okay. If I waited for me to be okay, I'd never get anything done, and besides, I think the world is changing around me. For the diver, I thought I knew the majority of things I could in my sleepy town. But since then, I've started to notice more and more things that strike me as odd. Things I never would have questioned before. And this time, I know I'm not imagining things. Which, at the disapproval of my therapist, brings me on to my next case study.
the Church of the Unbound Ring. Aside from its admittedly culty sounding name, the Church of the Unbound Ring is seemingly a normal religious place at surface level. It's the only local building for that sort of stuff in town, so they're pretty well known. I've never visited for obvious reasons, but aside from that whole point of tension, my father has never really been a man of faith, so I was raised with stark answers to my childish questions. Then again, who am I to judge? I hold no stakes, so my opinion on religion does not hold much importance. But nevertheless, everything like this always looks normal on the surface, but it's an iceberg hiding a huge, hidden, monstrous secret. I apologize, but I still find things that remind me of those events upsetting. If you'll excuse me for a moment, I just need to run through what my therapist taught me. When you lose yourself, be reminded of your surroundings. I'm on land. I'm at the Gravy Train Diner on Fleet Street. I'm having pancakes. And it's nine o'clock in the morning. I'm on land. not tech savvy. I can admit that. You always see the hackers digging up dirt on big organizations like this, but when you actually get down to doing something for yourself, it's noticeably harder. I'm not a hacker, but I do have a library card, which led me to the section of the library comprised mostly of boxes containing important newspapers and books in the town's history. I'm all for the scent of Biblicor, but at a certain point, it gets a little much. However, I was able to learn a few things. The Church of the Unbound Ring was funded almost entirely by a man named Nicholas Black, the same man who funded things like the Black Arrow Project back in the 60s, which was a disappointing space program that ended after its first shuttle was fired into space. However, a more poignant addition that Mr. Black funded is a weather balloon planted not too far out from town. Why on earth would a man of science like Nicholas fund the complete construction of a church? My questions persist, as it seems ownership of the church was handed over from Nicholas somewhere in the 90s to the man who still owns it to this day, Francis Applewhite. 
And from what I can see, owning a church is the biggest accomplishment the man has ever done, as his history before that seems ultimately blank. And for the record, I will hold back a snarky comment about that. While I investigate my suspicions about the Church of the Unbound Ring, I will also be working on a side theory I have, which goes as follows. It seems that after my oceanic encounter with the diver on the docks, I've been given a new perspective of my perceived world, in a sense. I've mentioned before, things that could be construed as odd come more frequently to me now. I've noted many inconsistencies around town. To rattle off a few, there are things like highway signs that lead to nowhere, animals who I swear I've caught slipping human words in between the usual bleats and barks, figures walking on foggy mornings that seem to be inhuman, and the most notable, I can never remember a single day in this town where the weather has not been overcast. I know the sun exists. I've experienced sunny weather, but only when I leave town on holidays or to go to beaches. But I've never put that together up until now. It truly seems that my brush with the supernatural has given me a new outlook on things. Like ants. You could be minding your business, walking in the forest or what have you, and you notice an ant. One ant at first but soon another, and another. And now you notice that you're standing on top of an entire colony of them. It's certainly odd, but odd is something I find myself mentioning more and more these days. Moving on, I went to one of the hearings the church held. It was nothing special, the usual preaching of a higher power and how it can save lost or wayward souls, blah, 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 the usual fanfare. What I wasn't expecting was how much they would talk about angels, beings, or creatures that serve the higher power in the afterlife. I'm aware of angels. I've read them in books. I've seen how they're depicted, and I was expecting them to use the usual mainstream spin. Babies with wings, white robes, long golden hair. But the pictures that were projected on the slideshow behind Francis were not of drawn angels. They were people. Regular people on the street. And it wasn't until a couple clicks of that slider that I realized that they weren't random people. Because on the fourth or so slide, I remember seeing my English teacher that taught me in primary school. I remember her because the picture shown depicted the exact same cardigan sweater that she was famous for always wearing. But as much as I wrecked my brain, I didn't remember her to be the religious type. In fact, she normally opposed religious literature, claiming that they skewed history and mythology. But more importantly, this is the bite I needed. This is the tip of the iceberg I craved. So after the sermon, I went home and looked up my old English teacher, Mrs. Howson. I honestly wasn't surprised of what I found out.
missing persons report. Last seen five months ago. I honestly didn't want this lead to turn into religious cult murders and sacrifices, but this being my next shot at journaling a mystery that doesn't leave me physically and mentally wounded, I can't exactly pick and choose. Please don't take this as me being cold or unsympathetic, but the brutal truth is that when a missing person is reported, they are rarely ever found alive. Or at all. Of course I have hopes, but I'm not hinging my research entirely on those hopes, and from my knowledge, it's pretty difficult for a whole conscious person to go missing. If you would have told me a year ago I would be spending my Sundays doing work for a church, <laughs> I probably would have laughed, but how time makes us eat all words as here I stand, spending my morning reading religious texts and listening to the sound of guitar strum about how we should love everyone, except the people that we shouldn't. It's all asinine. Not to mention, I lost my sense of smell hours ago. The amount of incense being burned in this place would take down an elephant. I don't even know how people think for themselves in this miasma. I'm barely able to form my own conscious sentences but it's all for the cause. Francis never leaves the church. This was the only way I could get close to him. Call it spying or stalking if you so wish, but I, I seem to be the only one that sees through this gap. God damn, the, this incense is killing me. I, I apologize, I'm, I'm just on edge. If this falls through, then I won't have anything to show for all this risk. I need to get into this groove, and right now, I'm too overwhelmed, all right? Point of order. It seems the angel motif extends to almost everything the church does. It begs the questions if they actually believe in a god, as they certainly don't talk about one. In fact, they don't really talk about anything else. On numerous occasions, I've tried to strike up casual conversation with others in the youth group about their lives and what brought them here. And yet, we always just end up talking about angels again. Anyway, oh, oh, Francis, right. Francis, as you would expect, is very hands-on with all his attendees. He holds coffee mornings and bingo nights and plays the guitar for our youth group. Physically, he seems fine. However, I have noticed that he always wears gloves, which aside from his neck means that every part of his skin, aside from his head, is completely covered in heavy, dark clothes. The only way I find out more is if I did something weird like set up a camera in the church to record Francis after hours. Oh wait, I did exactly that. For as scarring as these experiences have been, I've never felt such vindication for my more on-edge precautions. But nevertheless, most nights didn't amount to much. He prayed, he had coffee, 
nothing out of the ordinary. However, the facade of normalcy only survived to make the unavoidable slip all the more upsetting. On Sunday night, Francis can be seen kneeling before the altar, as he does each night to pray. And I almost called it there, as it seemed he'd do nothing worth recording. Uh, however, upon him removing his coat and shirt, I could finally see the man in Francis Applewhite head. His body was lanced with cuts and scars as weaving through his physique was thorn briar, the kind found under roses, weaved intertwined like a barded wire suit, curved thick thorns that tore up his hide with every movement. And yet he paid no mind to them as by the state of his body. I certainly do not doubt his devotion to which he prays, I was still analyzing the briar binding he wore as he started to pull out tools. He kept them in a simple wrapping of scarlet red silk and unfurled it like the mere cost of these items rivaled anything a man like him could afford. While the camera was not crystal clear, all I could judge them to be were two planks of stained dark wood that seemed to be torn of their original homes and a simplistic wooden mallet. The clasped, praying hands of Francis Applewhite started to move and be lowered onto the two slabs of wood. I could only pick up the odd sentence such as arms of the crux imisa or holy blood stained to mortal pine as his right hand was placed on the right plank he started to pull out a nail. I'll save you all the details of how hammer and nail mixes with flesh and wood, but nevertheless, this further proves my suspicion of this organization. It seems I'm making progress and this goes without saying as far as mysteries go. And coming from someone who is still a woman of science, this one seems to be far more cut and dry than the last. I would have much rather this have been what opens my eyes to the true world than the events that still give me nightmares to this day. With the information I now knew, it was obvious to see that Father Applewhite was always slightly off come Monday morning. His grip strength and coordination was ever so slightly lacking, but it would only take till Tuesday and he'd be back to seemingly complete fortitude. After a few attendances to the weekly sermon, I received a letter this morning telling me that at midnight on Sunday, there will be a special church activity held in the woods. I despise to think how I would have ignored all these red flags without the context that I am now burdened with daily. <sighs> but 
Here we are. I hold in my hand either the date of my death or the date of which I join a cult. I've decided that on that night, I will go to the aforementioned meeting location. <sighs> However, I will let the cloak of darkness hide my true presence, allowing me to merely observe what goes on at this activity. What? Why couldn't it be a cult? Why couldn't it be a regular fucking cult? Where do I start? All right. As I got to the location marked on the letter, I realized that it matched up with the placement of the weather balloon outside of town. The one that stretches all the way up into the clouds, never moving from that spot, keeping that cord plunged into foggy unknown. Because of those clouds, I've never actually seen the weather balloon. Eventually, the thin line that extends up into the clouds just became part of the view. It became comforting. You, you could see it for a while, coming back into town, and you knew that you were coming back home. I don't think I'm ever going to see it as comforting again. When I got to the location, it was exactly as I suspected. At the base of the weather balloon, there was a buffet table laid out, drinks too, and people were chatting casually. Call me stereotype, but I, I was expecting robes and chanting, and yeah, I was disappointed. Just people talking and standing around what I thought was the weather balloon's base, but it, it wasn't. At the center of a clearing in the middle of the woods was a noose, a noose that swayed gently in the wind, made out of thick, frayed, white rope. 
The kind you'd expect to see hanging from an old dead tree. Except it wasn't. This noose wasn't attached to a branch. There, there was never a weather balloon. The, the rope goes all the way up. I, I, I wanted to be horrified. I wanted to be scared. The, the worst part is I was denied even that because deep down some part of me, some twisted, rotted part was relieved. It, it was relieved that this w wasn't normal. A couple minutes later, I saw Francis look out into the cold dark of the woods, then look down at his watch, I assumed to see that it was exactly midnight. That's when they brought out the woman. I didn't recognize her personally, but I, I assume she's from town. She was probably someone I've passed on the street once or twice, and yet I didn't know her. She was dressed in a flowy white gown akin to the types that prophets wear in religious texts. She was clearly scared. I imagined she was given the exact same letter I was in the mail. It even begs the question that if I turned up, would I be in her place? But she began to beg and plead and scream, even running away at one point, only to be tackled to the hard-rooted ground before being picked back up, dusted as to not solely the white silk, and brought ever closer to the noose. Risking my own neck to make a morbid joke, I got closer. I needed to hear what the good Reverend Applewhite would say about this. Here's what I recorded. An angel has fallen. Hark, an angel has fallen. Fallen from grace and splendor aplenty. Yet God hath sent us away to reunite this angel to its home, back on the other side. Let us give thanks to our Lord for letting us take part in this ceremonial act. To hang this woman in hopes that she may be the angel we search for so direly. We apostles of thorn and breath, can you feel the thorns of our Lord throttle around our throats, my kin? Can you feel our souls be guided by our strangled breaths into the glorious other side? At that point, they all made a hand gesture up to the sky, which I assume is meant to look like a noose. And regrettably, they hung the woman till her struggling stopped. 
I hope that anyone listening to this recording is lucky enough that they have never had to bear witness to noose tightening around someone's neck. Gravity pulls them down to the ground in a desperate plead, but it's not a pleasant sight. It's not a gruesome end, nor is it seemingly enjoyable to the murderers in question. The only emotion that is felt once someone stops writhing against the coarse hempen rope is sadness. Sadness at seeing a lifeless body slowly drift in the wind. Sadness to see an end with no blood, only death. And sorrow at knowing the feeling of your windpipe being flattened in an instant. No gasps, no words, just an end brought on with a grisly snap. By the disappointed looks of the attendants, she was not an angel as they hoped. From the missing persons reports around town, I can probably piece together how frequently they get together like this. But I think I won't be attending any more hearings. After what happened that night, I've learned they covered up as monthly stargazing, which is far more frustrating as we can't ever even see the stars. The diver was supernatural, possibly. And whatever was under the docks certainly didn't adhere to scientific rules. But I couldn't see them. This is something I cannot deny. I now wake up every day only to look out the window and see a noose hanging from putrid gray clouds, and I'm left to wonder helplessly, what would I see if those clouds parted? And that, that is the first thought to actually scare me throughout this whole endeavor. I find myself angry at the general public that that they just can't see this blatant cover-up of murder only to realize I, I sound fucking crazy. Look, I, I, I don't know how to continue with this. The diver was one person. This is a cult. Hammer doesn't beat cult. And I'm certainly not going anywhere near that noose. I'm kind of lost. In a sense, I've recorded my answer to the question I set out with. What is the COTUB hiding? 
answer? Possibly an actual god. I, I, I could legitimately stop here and be done, but can I morally let a person die every month for possible years to come? Stupid humanity. Stupid therapist doesn't even know I'm basically a fucking ghostbuster. Hello, you. You know, seeing it in the light of day doesn't change how I feel about it. It's a noose. It's a symbol of death. They are haunting reminders of how horribly the world can break people. Good people that face every day with a smile only to be chipped down day after day in a life that seems to lose all its color. And eventually, that last straw pushes them over the edge and they decide that in a life that never seems to allow them to win, their last chance will be all their own. I stand here and resent you. An unbound ring that ends lives of not only those who step into its coiling snare, but the families that are shattered by finding their sister, or child, or parent, dead in your clutches. You are a symbol of everything heinous and cruel, and you have the gall to not even allow your victims a final moment of enlightenment. They ask for an end to their torment, and you give them nothing. No final words, no final thoughts. Just a step and an out. I hate you. You were there at my darkest and you stay there since. Your horrible stillness will forever plague my mind, even though I defied you. I now know that the sun will always rise and things will always get better. But you remind me that I will never forget the night. What am I doing here? I want to go home. Whatever. I'm strong and you're a fucking piece of string. I did not accept you before and I am not going to be drawn in again. Now that I can get a good look at this thing, it seems to be just a regular noose, only with the caveat that it doesn't stop. There's a graveyard not too far from here, so if they don't bury the bodies in the woods, that's probably where they go. Aside from that, 
this seems to be a normal clearing. There's a couple engravings on the ground, but they seem fresh. So I assume it's dug out by the church each time. I wonder if they also carved the rope. Because it seems there's words all around the noose. Hmm, let's see. Murderous Cervorium? What does that mean? Latin, maybe? Aside from a phrase I'm probably going to toss into Google when I get back, this doesn't give me any new information. It does, however, beg the question of why more people don't stumble across this if it's left so... How could we not see it? How could we be so blind? As God gives us wheat, but not bread, and grapes, but not wine, we are allowed to partake in the process of creation. You too are allowed to create yourself in a beautiful metamorphosis from man to woman. If any of us could be of fallen descent, it would be you, dear Charlie. Amused to all those blessed by your presence, so strong and so quiet, your suffering all your own, eternal fear of burdening those around you, because you know, you know that you are so wrong and broken that the sheer weight of your suffering would ruin anyone that gets close to you. So, you bravely carry it all in silence as only you can each forced smile and fake laugh giving you momentary respite. But it's okay, dear child. We can help all this pain go away. We now return you to the other side. We gifted upon you incense infused with the ash of non-angelic sinners. You breathed in evil and exhaled purity. Our deep connection is seared into your very lungs, but soon you will not need such useless commodities. Guardians, archangels, principalities, virtues, powers, dominions, cherubims, thrones, seraphims. We call to you, the hierarchy so high above us mortals, each servant of the one true and holy. Feel the briar, feel the breath. Let eyes split from each joint in your own mortal flesh. Let blood turn to feather and gold. Let your throat bathe in fire which chars your very teeth into holy ash. I wish for all of us to bear witness to your blindingly beautiful form taken cast. We beg of you to grow our very minds into rows so that we may feel the thorns drink up our blood and tear away at our skins from the inside out. Let us bear witness.
clouds thy part for our toiling. It is beautiful. It's beautiful. so bad. Listen back to the recording, and it seems again that I am at a loss for words. I don't have any jokes for this anymore. This is the second time I've almost died, and it still leaves me shaking just to think about. All my fear and suffering seems to just fuel the world around me watching me writhe in circles like a fly with only one wing. I don't even know how I got home. It was all such a blur. I hardly remember anything from that night, so I only have the audio to go off of and, well, yeah. But I should get the most important points out of the way first. The noose is no longer in the woods. The whole rope, gone. And along with that, the clouds now shift at a normal rate. I even saw the sun through my bedroom window this morning. Something that isn't normal, however, is that of right now. Francis Applewhite and the rest of the other attendants, which frequented the Church of the Unbound Ring, have gone missing. And from the sound of the last recording, I stand by my statement about missing people. As for the noose itself, I looked up the Latin phrase and it gives me nothing in the way of logical explanations. It does, however, pose a lot of moral and religious questions, but I don't think it changes my stance. Nothing happens for no reason. So an ultimate plan is a convincing next thought, but after today, I hope that if we are all at the mercies of beings above us, I just hope they aren't like us. Either way, it seems that this entire incident ends dead. Whether God exists or if it was a cult gone mad, all I've been left with are half-answered questions and a cough that's woken me up a few times in the night. 
Just like last time, I'm tired and drained. I keep trying to be the strong, cold adult I need to be to survive. But I keep finding myself as a scared, sniveling crybaby that gets hurt and whines about it. It's ironically how I know that there's no higher being for me. No loving deity would make someone suffer so horribly only for them to never achieve their goal. I could wax and wane for hours about what it means to be happy, but the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes everything is shit, and then we die. I'm gonna go get some grub at the diner. I'm craving pancakes. Case closed and Charlie Darnham signing off. Along the shore the cloud waves break. The twin suns sink behind the lake. The shadows lengthen in Carcosa. Strange is the night where black stars rise, but strange moons circle through the skies, and stranger still is lost Carcosa. Songs that the Hyades shall sing, where flap the tatters of the king, must die unheard in dim Carcosa. Song of my soul, my voice is dead. Die thou, and sung as tears unshed, shall dry and in lost Carcosa. Tranthologies is a trans anthology podcast distributed by the Listless Network and produced by Alex Abrahams and Zoe Davis. Apostles of Thorn and Breath was written by Kayla Bell and directed by Zoe Davis. It was edited by Alex Abrahams with music composed by Jordan Hendrickson. In today's episode, you heard the voices of Sage Deutscher Bishop as Charlie Darnham, Ronan Fernzel as Francis Applewhite, and CVVM as The Voice. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tune in tomorrow for another delightfully trans story. But until then, remember, the real angels were the friendship we made along the way.
Howdy, Zoe here, one of the producers for Tranthologies. Just wanted to pop in and let you know that our crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo is still ongoing throughout our season two run. So if you liked an episode, please consider leaving us a tip. Or not. I'm not your mom or your dad or your parent. All right, bye.